Hello everybody and welcome to the 41st episode of the Alien vs. Galaxy podcast. This is your usual host, Aaron Percival, or as you uh, probably know me better as, Corporal Hicks. And joining me today is one of my usual hosts, Ian Morgan, or Eric. Hey guys. Today's episode is going to be on something we haven't really talked about before. And it's not something you tend to see a lot of, a lot of discussion, a lot of information. And it's pretty criminal. Because it's a really cool part of uh, the Alien franchise past. We're going to be chatting to David Watson, who is a performer, was sorry, was a performer for Alien War. Um, well, thank you for joining us today, uh, David. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat to a couple of nerds. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Some of you might not know what Alien War is, and I'm going to do my best to explain it because it's it's kind of a weird one to explain. It was a experience slash attraction from. Say the, the early to mid 90s. Initially took place in Glasgow, but then ended up in London in Piccadilly Square, wasn't it? Yeah, it was between uh, Leicester Square and uh, the Circus. Circus, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was, it was like a, a real life walkthrough experience of being in, you know, an alienish environment. You, you were in a uh, Whaling Utani research facility and you're being escorted around by um, colonial marines and then typical alien fashion, everything goes to shit, the aliens escape. Those darn face huggers. Mm-hmm. And you're spending about 20 minutes running around in the dark with people shouting at you, aliens broke in you. Yeah. <laughs> if you make it out, you're, you're done good, you're done fine. You know, it, like I said before, it's, it's something that doesn't doesn't really get spoke about a lot. And when I saw David post up that he was a performer on it, I had to snatch him up and ask him to come on and talk about it because it's something you guys need to know about. It's it's. I didn't get a chance to go on it personally. It was, it was a little bit before my time. I did. Yes, Xenomorphin did, which is why I asked him to come on today because obviously it makes sense. Yeah. There's that dichotomy between like the new generation of you fans. You come on, you you probably heard about Alien War, and some of us were old enough to have been on it. And it's one of those historical things throughout the fandom itself. So David's David's agreed to answer quite a few of our questions actually <laughs> that we put yeah. together for him. <laughs> so you know, before we do start chatting about Alien. I was hoping you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, who, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, of course. Well, I'm from Clitheroe in Lancashire, and I'm a country lad and a science fiction fan. I don't get much time to really indulge in my interests in science fiction these days. But, uh, yeah, back in the day, in the 90s, I was a huge, huge alien fan. And I think that's what probably makes the whole experience that mi- bit more special because I wasn't just someone going into that experience as it being a job as such. It was a real dream come true for a you know, a die-hard fan. So, yeah, I'm 44, 45 years old. I forget, as you tend to do as you get to <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and I work as a, as a prop maker, as a set designer for children's television, which, uh, again, kind of ties very much into my experiences at Alien War, seeing all that stuff going on around me. It was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to be here to... Uh, as, as Aaron said, it's something that uh, you can find very little information on the internet about Alien War. There's very little out there, and I certainly don't think there's any real interviews or anything. So to be able to come on and chat about it and indulge myself to a captive audience is, yeah, it's a pleasure. Something we like to ask all our guests about is uh, their first encounter with the series as a whole. Um, the Alien films tend to leave an impact on us. Um, do you remember the first time you saw one of the films, and which one would you say is your favourite? 
Now, this is a really long answer. <laughs> Basically, I was born in 71, and, uh, yeah, like most children, not most children, but like a lot of children, I imagine, especially little boys, I always loved monsters, and uh, mm. anything that could uh, create fear, that excitement, that adrenaline. So, as a young child, I remember with my sisters, big family, and uh, always enjoying sitting up late on a Friday night. There were no videos or anything like that, so you were sat watching old Boris Karloff, old Bela Lugosi, black and white horror films, and then later on, the old Hammer Horrors. I remember, you know, being little, and obviously children are very much driven by the heroes, so I was very much into my Doctor Who, my Tom Baker, my Captain Kirk, my Luke Skywalker, that sort of thing. And... uh, yeah, just a, an active imagination, as children do have. And uh, being able to sit and watch these and scare ourselves witness, watch, witless uh, watching these uh, these films late at night on a Friday night um, was just brilliant. And then, uh, so heroes, very important to children. And and uh, one Friday night or Saturday night, I remember my mum letting us stay up to watch a film and uh, it was Alien. And I didn't know anything about it at all. And she said, oh, it's called Alien. So it, I, I imagine, I mean, this is after it had been released at the cinema. So it must have been a couple of years after. It must have been 80, 81, I guess. And uh, sat up watching this film, um, having previously been treated to these older films, you know. So to suddenly get this, you know, what was really high tech, uh, this world that you were immersed in that Ridley Scott created with this real dark edge to it, you know, I mean... As a child that enjoyed horror and science fiction, this was a film that combined both, and not just combined them, but really like knocked the socks off it. This was like a, being used to like wobbly sets on Blake Seven and 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 uh, Doctor <laughs> Who to suddenly see the this really impressive, real what was real. Um, you know, it, I think this is the thing about filmmaking of that era. You know, there was no behind the scenes. There was no there was no internet. There was nothing. You know, so. The, it really was the magic of film. You really did believe in these things, which made them all the more real. So, to cut a long story short, to sit there and watch, as soon as it started, I mean, Alien, t- for, especially for a, a young lad, takes quite a while to get going, but I was just absolutely mesmerised and, and, like the rest of you, completely pulled in to this world that was created and loved it, absolutely loved it. Terrified, terrified me, terrified my sisters, terrified my mum. And, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, just really loved what it did. But I think what I, what also appealed to me, I think it struck a chord in me. I don't know why. I still don't know why really, but I think being used to male action heroes to suddenly see this twist, which had never really been done before. You expect Dallas to be the guy at the end battling it out with a bashing the alien around the head with yeah. an extinguisher. And then to see Ripley, this brilliant, brilliant character, you know, portrayed by Sigourney Weaver, who's just absolutely beautiful and stunning and just quite, you know, I just, I was quite mesmerized by it. Wow, you know, it was just such a novelty and it struck a chord in me. So that's how I first saw Alien and, and, and loved it. To expand on that, during this time, home video was coming in, but it was only like families that had money that had video players. And I do remember we didn't have a video player. And I remember my auntie going off on holiday for a few weeks and she lent us her video player. It was a big thing. Do you want to borrow our video player while we're away? <laughs> and here's like three tapes to go with it. So we... For the summer holidays of that year, we ended up with my auntie's video player and about four cassettes, one of them being Alien. It was such a novelty in those days to be able to, to put a film in, to be able to pause it and be, be able to rewind it and fast forward it. It was it was a real novelty that probably a lot of people won't be able to understand or even comprehend. So my me and my whole family and probably every family on the street were invited into our house to watch Alien. <laughs> it was like uh, we became a little cinema and we all enjoyed it and, and the, the whole family liked 
film. So that was my introduction to, to Alien. And, and, and then, and then several years later, hearing about, uh, I think we had the radio on one day and it came over the radio. It said, Oh, Sigourney Weaver's in London at the moment filming a sequel to Alien. And we were all like, wow, brilliant. Because I think we'd all invested ourselves in this film. We all liked it. We were all fans. You know, my mum and dad even, we liked the film. So to hear that they were doing a sequel was just really, really exciting. <laughs> so that kind of is my very lengthy version of how I kind of came across the films. There's a lot I could say about the second film and the effect it had on me because I think everybody's in agreement. It's just a brilliant, brilliant sequel. Some people prefer the first one. Some people prefer the second one. Um I loved Aliens. It surpassed everything I could imagine. You know, like I say, back in those days, there was no internet, so you couldn't have a sneak peek on Google and get pictures from behind the scenes or anything like that. Mm. You really, very much, it was down to your own imagination and your anticipation of what it was going to be. You know, I was thinking, oh my God, you know, what's going to happen? I, you know, and when I did finally go to the cinema to watch Aliens, up, right up to that point, I thought the whole film was going to be set on Earth. I think I'd heard it somewhere in a news snippet that, yeah, the aliens are on Earth, you know. So I was in for a real treat and a real surprise with what James Cameron did with the sequel. Uh, you're not the only one, obviously, who thinks it was better. I mean, it, I, I, I won't necessarily say better than every. All of the films have their own charm, but there's no denying that aliens had such a massive impact on the franchise going forward. Obviously, you, you see that with, with Alien War when we get there. I mean, it was all it was all themed around aliens, wasn't it? Oh, completely. Yeah. In fact, the interesting thing is, I'm not you're probably aware of this, but the guy, yeah, the guys that set up Alien War, Gary and John, I believe that they. I'm not sure of the exact story behind this, but I've always believed that they they had somehow got access to Pinewood, and uh, it was Pinewood where Aliens was filmed, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and they'd gone and asked about, you know, I mean, these places at the end of the day, they're just big factories, you know, and they'd been down and expressed an interest, and this guy had said to him, oh, yeah, it's all out there, go and have a look in the skip, go and have a look in the storage container. <laughs> they'd gone and had a look, and all these panels, because they were both fans, which is another great thing about this whole story, they were both two fans of the films, they'd been and it was full of set pieces panels and everything from 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 aliens obviously i don't know the whole story myself either but there's a fellow who was involved in getting it all put together called harry harris yeah yeah he is very well known among the community as um you know a very big collector of screen used props and costumes and stuff like that and he i will post a link up to this when um when, when we you know post the podcast he has a nice sort of accounting of some of the early days of, of, of the um, you know of the attraction and getting it all put together and where all the sort of props that we used came from. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Harry's site and I've been. In, uh, I don't know. I've never met Harry, but I have conversed with him online a couple of times. Yeah, brilliant that he's done that. It's a, it's a brilliant resource that he's got going there. It's a great uh, little archive full of uh, really great information and brilliant, brilliant photographs. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about Alien War now, then specifically. Let's talk about how you got involved. Uh, how did you first become aware of it? Well, I was aware of Alien War because I used to get... Is it Starburst magazine? It used to be a month ago. Well, I used to... I've subscribed to that for several years, so... And they'd always keep you up to date with what was going on. So I was aware that there was some sort of planned attraction. And I remember there being one issue where they had some um, designs and conceptual arts as to what was going to be included in Alien War. So it was all really exciting. At the time, I was in Clitheroe. I was quite heavily involved in amateur dramatics, and I was also working... So I'd work, I was working in a factory making uh, windows. We'd have the radio on, but you could barely hear over the sound of all the machinery. And one afternoon, Steve Wright was talking 
on Radio 2 and he was, uh, he likes to keep his audience informed as to what's going on. And one of the articles that he came up with was, and, uh, opening up very soon in the Trocadero in London is a new aliens themed attraction where you get to come face to face with the, the alien and, at the moment, they're looking for crew. So if you're interested, write to, I mean, like I say again, before the internet, if you're interested <laughs> in applying for that, yeah. write to this address. Well, I swear to God, I was in this workshop and my ears pricked up as, as soon as I heard Aliens and all my colleagues that I work with, who were a great bunch, they all knew that I liked the films and everyone kind of switched the machines off. As he read the address out, we managed to jot down the address. I think I got the first line and Tom got the second line and we got the postcode. Uh, and that night I went home and I thought, right, I really want to make sure that I write a good letter here, you know, so I wrote a really short letter and I just thought, look, I'd love to be involved in any way whatsoever, I'd love to audition, I'll come down and I'll spend the week stirring up buckets of, you know, uh, slot for the Queen or whatever, you know, I'll just make alien slot and I'd just love to be involved, I'm, I'm passionate about it and I'd love to be involved. And then I got back a, a letter, which was just a photocopy, I've still got somewhere, and it was just a really short letter, just a generic letter, and it just said, hi, thanks for your interest, thanks for expressing an interest, um, we will be holding open auditions at Planet Hollywood, um, sometime, I think it was early October, or maybe late September, 1993, please dress appropriately, remember that you will be applying for the part, portraying the part of a hardened space marine, so please, you know, make an effort and dress appropriately. So, to get this letter was brilliant, so it was a case of getting my head down and trying to prepare for it, which meant really frantically, it was so fast. And it's funny because leading up to this interview, I, would, I guess it's kind of brought back a lot of memories because I'm recollecting stuff that's 23 years ago. But I do remember my uncle at the time was over from Canada and uh, there was me and my mum and my auntie and uncle and my other uncle and we were all, I'd managed to scratch together. I don't know how I did it now. I mean, when you look at the resources online today on like the Aliens Legacy, it tells you how to make your own, uh, you know, fans making their own cosplay outfits and but there was nothing of this sort back then there was no resources so i remember i really wanted to have a good outfit so i remember getting all sorts of random materials and bits and pieces and putting together almost like a vest like tabard style piece of armor that i think i made out of some like you know that metallic foam that you get to put behind radiators i think i'd use yeah yeah and sprayed it up and put a little padlock on it and some little um little clasps Got some combats, some army combats, and a cap. I had an Astromo cap. That's not accurate. I should have had a Solarco one, but <laughs> what I, what I had <laughs> to what you can. Yeah, I had a little ear set thing. Luckily, I had an old uh, pulse rifle, an old uh, Comet Miniatures. Um, they were a firm that, oh. I don't know, still going now, but they used to do lots of different model kits, lots of garage kits. And I'd splashed out one year and bought this really hideous, really <laughs> bad. It wasn't accurate at all. It was an old red, it was an old fiberglass pulse rifle and a uh, horrible thing. I've still got it somewhere, but I did that all up and sprayed it up and everything. Anyway, in the end, I had a pretty good kit. I had a pretty good outfit. I cut some old Wellingtons up, some welly boots and med little shin guards and stuff. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, travelled travelled down to London to the uh, Planet Hollywood location there, along with hundreds of others. There were lots of people there turned up. Interestingly enough, funny thing about the Pulse Rifle, I mean, you wouldn't even dream of doing it now, but I, I went, in 1993, I travelled through the length and breadth of London with, you know, the butt of a Pulse Rifle, a resin Pulse Rifle, <laughs> sticking out of a bag. <laughs> You know, uh, it just goes to show, you know, times have changed, you know, I never even gave it a second thought, and, and 
you know, my parents didn't think, oh, David, that's a bit dodgy, you know, I never, and I, and I succeeded, I was able to transport this bloody gun from one side of London to the other, to central London, to get to this, to this audition, so we were all stood, there were lots and lots of people there, queuing right round the block to get into uh, Planet Hollywood, and there were several people there, I think, obviously, Gary and John, the people who set it up, um, they'd got people there to promote it, so there were a few guys dressed up in the proper, I think, I think a couple of them may even have been screen used bits of armour or random bits and pieces certainly a screen used pulse rifle uh, if I remember rightly did they had replicas made by the same company that made them for the film yeah it was Bapti wasn't it it was the yeah it, it, it yeah, we did. But also, there was, um, and I can get on to that afterwards, but there was one or two pulse rifles knocking about. One of them was certainly screen used, because I've seen it in the, uh, in Harry Harris's, uh, in his archives, and I recognise it distinctively, yeah. So there were all these guys, you know, lots of lads and girls, you know, queuing up right round the, uh, corner of Planet Hollywood and right up the street. And it was great because it was a great atmosphere. Everyone was excited. Most, I think the majority of people there were, were fans. I think there were very few people there who just saw it as an acting job and who'd come along to, I think there were a fair few of them, but they were, they were a good group of people and, and morale was good and there was a good sense of camaraderie between everybody. People chatting, where have you come from? Or oh, I've driven down from wherever I've come over from Ireland or whatnot. And, uh, of course, Planet Hollywood, great location, you know, high profile. And everything. So the day progressed, and we went from standing outside to then getting into the foyer and going down into this big area, and, and it was just a madhouse. And it got quite late in the afternoon. This is how I remember it. It got quite late in the afternoon, and uh, it looked like things had got a bit chaotic. There were lots of people everywhere, but nothing seemed to be happening. Then I do remember this one guy coming out with a clipboard, and he kind of scanned around the room very quickly, scanned around, and by this time the queue had gone to nothing. You know, there were still lots of people there, but there was no order to it at all. So he'd come out, glanced around the room. He kind of ushered me over to him and another guy and another guy and he said, look, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, we're running out of time. Never expected so many people to turn up. He said, we've run out of script. <laughs> <laughs> he said, we've, we've run out of script, so I've nothing to give you. He said, I've been told to come out here and find people that look like they've made an effort. So it turns out that they making that effort at their home and doing the costume and that paid off. Really. Yeah. So, well, this guy looks like he wants to do this, you know. So, so me and four or five other lads and girls were taken down to apparently I can only vaguely remember it but there was a cinema underneath Planet Hollywood I think there was like a viewing cinema like a private area of it and we went down and there was a cameraman there they were filming it never seen that surface whatever was filmed I think they were always talking doing some sort of behind the scenes thing but uh, yeah, it was very quick. We were ushered in very fast. Gary and John must have been there. And it was just like, look, we've no scripts to give you. We can't tell you anything what to say. Just blag. Just <laughs> uh, just improvise. Just imagine that you're a hardened space marine. You're a colonial marine. And you've got a group of people with you that you need to take around the base. Sort of thing. Well, I stood there and I just thought, well, this is my shot. So, I mean, I don't have, I don't have a deep voice. <laughs> I don't. Uh, but I put on a really deep voice. And I put on a very deep voice. It kind of went down like this and put on this terrible American accent. Kind of went <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just went for it and I said, oh, hi everybody, um, not, hi. I didn't say hi everybody, that's, that's, <laughs> I, didn't, I just say, uh, welcome to the, uh, Whaling Utani research facility. In a few moments time, you'll be taken around a tour of the base. Some of these corridors can go on for miles, so, you know, you need to make sure you stay together as a group. And I just did, I just blagged it. I just, I don't know what I came out with. I dread to think even. And that was that. And then we were just told, thank you very much for coming off you and off we went and I went back back up to Lancashire and thought well that was great met some great people had some great fun 
great experience. I've got a good costume. Um, you know, and, and that was that. And I think they'd said to us, I think that might have been on the Friday, and they'd said to us, if you don't hear anything by the Wednesday, then you've not got anything, which is fair enough. So I remember being at work on the Wednesday and like dying to get home from work because no more, no mobile phones back then. It was your landline and, uh, getting home from work, nothing. But I don't know. I had a feeling. So sometimes in, in your life, you have a feeling, don't you? And mm. I, I didn't, I wasn't too disappointed. I thought, right, okay. And then I remember the following night getting ready to go off for rehearsals. Like I say, I was quite heavily involved in like Amdram at the time. And I remember being in the shower after work and my mum shouting up to me and she shouted, David, Alien War's on the phone. And I kind of legged it downstairs with a towel around me. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was a girl called Julia that worked at Alien War that I got to know in time. And, and she said, David, she said, just phoning to let you know that we really like your audition and we'd love you to come back down for a second audition this week. And I was like, brilliant, brilliant. So, you know, mum and like that in your life a few and far between it was like floating on the air which is brilliant brilliant feeling it was like wow you know amazing so yeah you know I was very much a country mouse didn't, I didn't really know London at all and went down again for another audition didn't know anything about it we didn't receive any kind of instructions as to how to prepare for it and got down there and the auditions took place I think they were in like a disused office block above the Trocadero in the tower above it in one of the blocks above but I'd say there was about 50 people in there I think there were about 50 people turned up it was a day, a whole day, with Gary and John there, and they had their right hand man. I think Julia was quite instrumental in, in, in taking care of the logistics of the auditions and, and whatnot. And it was a day of improvising and walkthroughs, and uh, it was quite full on. I don't really remember too much about it, but I do remember it was good fun, and it allowed you to improvise. They kind of gave you a lot of freedom to do a lot of different things. And I remember at that point, I do remember at that point, there was discussions about having not only roles for Marines and aliens, but also roles for scientists as well. That eventually got dropped. It never happened in my time there. But I think there were also some talk of uh, having a couple of character roles as staff at the laboratory at the, at the, at the, the base. You see what I mean? Um, I did wonder about that, if that was... Because when I went through it, I got the feeling... But it's like, it's, shouldn't we be seeing some like technicians or something at work? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting to find out. Yeah. I think the thoughts with the whole, I think if you recall the initial speech by the Marine, hmm. um, in that first briefing room, I think there was thoughts of having that being done by a laboratory technician or something. Right, right. Before all hell breaks loose, and that's when a marine bursts in, kind of thing. But it, that never materialised, as far as I'm, as far as I'm aware. Um, but yeah, it was a great day, and at the end of the day, it was very much, it was a long day, and they did that whole thing where they kind of stood up at the end and go, right, everybody, thank you for coming. Um, we're going to read some names from this list now. If you'd like to stand up and go and stand in that corner there, so they started to read these names from this list. And quite a few people got up and went and stood in the corner. And then, of course, you're thinking, right, are they in or out? <laughs> kind of, yeah. You know, it's that whole thing. And then they said, right, thank you. And they said to the people that had got up, the names that had been called out, they said, thank you very much for coming. I'm afraid you've not been successful. Thank you very much. And we gave them a round of applause and they all left. And then they turned to us, it must have been Gary and John, and they said, welcome to Alien War, everybody, your old crew. So... Basically, from that first audition of where there were several hundred, I believe, they then narrowed it down to 50. And then I think, I think they had about 40 jobs 
available 40 vacancies on the actual crew for Alien War. So yeah, everybody was thrilled to bits, absolutely thrilled to bits, and all said the goodbyes and went off, and it was like, right, see you next week for rehearsals. Was it that quick of a start? I think it was, yeah. It was all very fast. It all happened very fast, because I remember coming back to Clitheroe, and I'd made no provisions. I hadn't expected I'd be moving to London. Luckily, I had a cousin that was living in Brentwood in Essex that I could stay with, so I remember having to organise that very fast, you know, and almost just... And I remember going to the factory I was working at and having to go and speak to the boss and say, look, I've got this opportunity and I can't turn it down. <laughs> you know, and, and luckily it was great. It was like, oh, I love that film. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I was very lucky to be able to, to do that. So how long were you down there? Well, now, I went down there for the rehearsals. And I went down there... To be honest with you, like I said, I was living in Brentwood in Essex. It was so expensive living and working in London, travelling into London every day. And, you know, the way I saw it when I was working there, the best thing that could have happened to me... I, I think I experienced the best of it in terms of the actual, the whole rehearsal process, the excitement of the opening night and the weeks beyond that. I was there about two months in total and it, I, I couldn't afford to stay. It was very much like, I cannot afford to stay, you know, and, and I thought, I've had a great time. It's been brilliant. I've met my hero. I've met some great people. I've worked with some great guys. It's been fascinating, but it's it's time for me to go back to reality <laughs> and went back and, and worked and went back and worked at the factory for a few years and had a great story to tell the people I've been working with. <laughs> nice. So leading on from that, was there between you know, you telling you you've got hired and actually opening the doors to the public. Was there much in the way of preparation and, and rehearsal? Did they try different things, different like miniature stories or, or was it pretty much, you know, you've got a week, let's go for it? Well, there was, there wasn't so much, there was a lot of prep, certainly a lot of prep and a lot of rehearsal. And what we did is we went up again to a big disused floor of the Trocadero. So it was almost like a completely bare, empty, almost like a, almost like a car park but it was like a big disused office floor with concrete floor and everything and we chalked out they chalked out the actual uh, pretty much to scale uh, map on the floor of the actual base that was hmm. uh, being worked upon you know by by you know professionals five or six floors down in the basement they were working on it and several floors up we were up there with a bit of a blueprint on the floor working out you know the actual structure of it and that's what it was it was very much a structure i think you know when you ask about you know improvising it was very much improvised but there was a there were there were key points to follow within the within the base you know there was the start point right it was getting around doing some improvisation to get the group round to the very first uh encounter um the first um yeah the first part of the experience to then take you around to this other area so it was very much moving from a to b b to c and then filling the gaps in in between with all this sort of stuff so, it was, right. so there was a structure to it not so much of a script there, there was a script but you know gary and john were very good and they encouraged you to kind of improvise they were good like that which we did and we had a right giggle doing it you know i, I do remember rehearsing <laughs> being a lot of fun they were a lot of fun i really remember laughing i've kind of got I, I'm a big fan of Victoria Wood and always enjoyed the acorn antiques and always, yeah. always enjoyed the mischief in seeing somebody struggling for a line, <laughs> you know, yeah. trying to ad lib and whatnot. And like I say, a lot of the guys that worked there, um, they were, 
a lot of the other guys, because I was probably the smallest one. I'm five foot seven, and I'm not big. I'm not muscly or anything. I was just regular, you know, five foot seven, skinny lad. A good chunk of the the guys and, and girls that were there, you know, they were they were big, you know, and they really looked the part, you know, and rightly so, you know, he's got to have that impact, you know. So he had some real big lads there, you know, with big muscles and you know, tall, you know, towering over me. But perhaps some of them didn't quite have that same ability to ad lib, you know. They might have looked the part, but maybe maybe weren't brilliant ad libbers sort of thing. Some of them you got that did great on both counts, you know, they looked the part and they were great at acting as well. But um yeah, it was a good mixed bunch. It was a mixed bunch of people and the rehearsals were were very relaxed. There were no egos or anything. Everyone just going around that and everyone were, were very supportive of each other. Because we were all thrown into this nest of you know, it, it was it was a really exciting thing that we were all involved with and we were all very happy to be there and very excited about what, what the coming weeks were going to bring. So, yeah, just great fun running through this structure, running around with bits of wood. We had lengths of wood that we were using for guns. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of camaraderie around. Oh, yeah, yeah, completely. There was one guy in particular, and he was called Mike, and he was about seven foot tall, and he was a huge black guy. Um, I remember him, yeah. yeah I just remember yeah. seeing him, yeah. He had, he had a great sense of humour, and me and him just hit it off. I mean, he was... Because I'd never been to London before, and uh, we just, you know, he, he was so much the opposite to me. But he were really, he was really great, and he kind of took me under his wing because he knew he knew London. He had a really good sense of humour, and we used to giggle as we were doing it. And we used to say to each other, "I hope we never get, I hope we never have to take a group through together because we're going to start laughing." Because uh, <laughs> it was, there was just something about him; it really tickled my funny bone. And I think I did the same with him. It was just we were a funny pair. It was, it was great. It was really good, good to work with him. We had, a, we had a lot of fun in rehearsals. So, like I said, the rehearsal period was just that. We were just going through it again and again and again and again and trying to get used to this. Uh, because, we, of course, we couldn't go downstairs and rehearse because it was full of set dressers and, you know, there were all sorts of stuff going on down there. There were welding going on as they were creating the structure and everything and fitting the panels and all the electrics and everything. So, there's no chance at all we could have gone down there to rehearse. So, we had to try and get it as, as slick as we could up there on this choked out, you know, on, on the floor, all choked out. Did you ever do any... Cause you said your like your profession was basically prop building and that. Did, did you actually help out or talk to any of the actual prop builders down there? No, at all? Or would you purely focused on the rehearsals? No, I, I would have loved to. You see, at that point, I hadn't. It's only in recent years I've really got into prop making, and I'll do that. Oh, so, I see. Now I'd always been very interested. I, I'd always helped out with the Amdram stuff, but only very much yeah. scenic painting and stuff. I would have loved to have gone down because I think Harry was down there working as well. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have gone down and you know witnessed what was going on. But I certainly had no exp- expertise of my own to kind of offer up or any or anything like that. But yeah, it would have been yeah fascinating. I think for me to go down and see see all of it coming together. I, I've got to ask because of what you were saying, you know, about about how much fun you were having, but. You know, it's hard, it's hard to sum up what the experience is. Inevitably, you never do it justice. It sounds, it sounds daft. Obviously, it's not, you know, ends up being quite effective. But was it, was it hard to take it seriously as you're going through it? I mean, you are there to literally scare the shit out of people running around. And, you know, you're having, messing around with your buddies as well. It, it, how how easy was it to keep up that you know? Um... From my perspective, I found it really easy. Only but only because I think that the team down there and the crew and Gary and John they did such a brilliant brilliant job of recreating it. And again, from a fan's perspective, I mean this was a dream come true because. And this is another interesting side of it. You know, you could walk into a storeroom one day, one of the rooms just at the side at the back that none of the public got to see, and there were all sorts of set pieces and bits of panels that were quite easily recognisable from aliens. Mm. 
you know, just waiting to be put into the set. So I think because they created such a brilliant environment for everyone to perform in, you took it seriously when you were actually in there performing, and it was it wasn't difficult to imagine you were on a space station, you know, or you were on a you know on a on a complex or, or whatever. Imagine you were on LV four twenty six. You know, you you really were you. For what it's worth, you were there. You know, I do remember one of the roles that we played, because we all took turns at playing the Marines and taking groups through and everything, but there were several other things as well. We had plants where you were kind of hidden around a corner and then jumped out on a crowd that was coming past and scared the life out of them and pretend that you'd got separated from the rest of your group. And so I remember doing that. I did that quite a lot, I remember. And uh, as you waited for the, the group of the public to come through sometimes it'd be 10 minute intervals in between so you can imagine spending that 10 minutes and not only visually if you've got everything there in front of you you've got the panels you've got the pipes you've got the smoke you've got the lights but also even the sound effect i mean we had the sirens the klaxons going off and they were taken because it was a licensed thing where you know there was access to all these real accurate sound effects so you had the sirens going you had the warning warnings it, it, it was in the film. It, it was so real. It was really well done. It was that immersive. Yeah, completely. That's the word. <laughs> it was very immersive. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I just have to ask, there was, um, in my experience, when I went to Alien War, I've, I'm just curious, because it's always been on my mind, there was a point when you were saying there were, they were um, like plants in the group, certain things were, they had to happen at certain times. There was one point in it, I always remember, where you were in an elevator, and the lights go off, uh, yeah. and then they all came out, and then some guy got snatched by the aliens outside of it, but he was laughing his head off. So I've always wondered, was that like a plant, or was it like they whispered to somebody that's actually going through, we need you to be taken by the aliens, is that okay? And you go, yeah, because oh, oh. it was like he was just laughing his head off as he got snatched away. Right, right, well that's great. Um, yeah, the fact that he was laughing leads me to kind of suspect that maybe, because the thing is, it was all very chaotic, the whole thing, you know, and when I think about how fast-paced it all was and the way it all came together, it would not surprise me in the slightest. We did have a couple of plants, people who were allocated. There was one girl, and I can't remember her name now. She was lovely, but she'd go, she, she never, she, I don't think she ever played a Marine. She was always just in her civvies, and she was the one that was allocated to join the group as a plant. Now, it wouldn't surprise me at all in the chaos of what we did and what we did down in the Trocadero. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe she couldn't make it one day or what, you know, at the end of the day. Right. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if somebody was approached and said, look, there's going to be a certain point. Do you fancy be, would you be up for this? Would you be up for doing that? <laughs> so. Which you would be, wouldn't you? You'd be well up for that if you know if you were approached. Yeah, yeah. It's just I've always wondered because you'd think if it's a plant, he should be like acting as though, oh my god, I'm in taken. Yeah, he was going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, the girl that did it. I mean, it was the usual plant. I mean, she used to scream and and she was very good actually. I remember she she was a very good actor and she really looked like really inconspicuous. So I believe I, I think that everybody, when that moment where Sheila got grabbed and pulled through those lift doors. Everybody would have yeah, believed. Yeah, that was it, yeah. So, yeah, think that there was a guy laughing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But he was probably having a great time. <laughs> yeah, up until, up until 1993, Alien War had been run at various places around the UK. It never really had a permanent home. But when it moved to the Trocadero, that was sort of like where it was intended to stay. And 
Actually, as as of recording, in the next couple of days, I think it's this coming Saturday, is going to be the anniversary of when um, it, it opened. Wow. October wow. 93. Yeah. Uh, it, it was officially, you know, there's a big party, and you know, there was cast from a- Aliens and, and Alien 3 there, and Sigourney Weaver um, opened it, uh, firing off a CO2 uh, flamethrower into the air. You were saying earlier it was um, Sigourney Weaver and, and Ripley that sort of blown your mind in Alien. What was it like to meet those people, meet your hero, as you mentioned earlier? That must have been awesome. It was a dream come true, and it, it's funny because when we were coming to the end of the rehearsal period, because none of this was official, but you know, we, we didn't know at that point whether Sigourney Weaver was going to be there. I just remember it being announced one day there was rumours that Sigourney Weaver may be opening up Alien One. We were all, we were all like, "Wow, oh my God, that would be amazing!" So none of us was privy to what was being planned for the opening night or anything. And uh, interestingly enough, out of the forty people that had made it through the um, that audition process, there were only a select few of us that were able to work on that opening night. And I always remember Julia, I'll always be grateful to her because I remember she came to me at the end of the rehearsal period and she said, David, she said, Gary and John have asked me for the opening night to choose the bigger lads to be in attendance for that because obviously they look the part, you know, it's a high profile event, press are going to be there, it's going to be big, you know, this is big time stuff. So she said, but you've had such a good time in rehearsals and you've really put your heart and soul into it. She said, I want you to be there, <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. I could quite easily have not been there really. And I think physically I shouldn't have been there, you know, I mean, the, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't look the part, even, even with the big bloody army boots on, I think, you know, I, I just looked like a young lad having a great time. But it was lovely that she did that. And I've always remembered it. For her to recognise that I was so committed to it and to say, this lad needs to be here. You know, he's loving this. Mm. So I was thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And uh, yeah, and I can still remember to this day, I remember really clearly what it was like getting on the uh, on the tube that night from Brentwood and from, on, the, on the train and getting into London for the opening night. Really exciting, really a real buzz. And um, I think there was stuff on the television, London Tonight, they were doing interviews and stuff. So it was really all going on. And got down to, to Leicester Square, to the Trocadero, and it were all completely buzzing. Like I say, I think because everything happened so fast, and I won't lie, it all seemed very chaotic. It, it, it didn't come across as being a very organised event. And I think as the night progressed, that became quite clear. Didn't end up being gate crash. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it did. It did. I think because there was so much going on, and all these things had come together, there was a limousine arriving with all these different you know, actors and stars. Yeah, everything went to pot, really, and at one time, we'd all been kind of given duties to do, we knew we had to man certain areas and whatnot, but it wasn't very long at all before these cordoned off areas, people obviously, I mean, it's a busy busy place, you know, you're talking about the West End, it's, it, it's a busy place in London, people naturally were drawn to it, what's going on, what's going on, and before we knew it, we were overrun with the general public, they were just everywhere, you know, it was a real, it was, it was absolutely so... It was just complete mess, really. But everything happened as it should. It was a brilliant, brilliant night. We were all very excited. We were all there. We were all in our outfits. Some of us had pulse rifles. Some of us didn't. But uh, yeah, so we were all there on the opening night. And I remember we were all kind of drifting around. We knew that Sigourney Weaver were coming. And that one particular Marine, I think one lad in particular, I think he was called Wes. And uh, he really was very good. He was a great actor. Really looked the part. I mean, he looked as hard as bloody nails. He really did. I think he was the one that was kind of given the job. Oh, my. I think it was Wes, of taking Sigourney and the rest of them through the attraction. Did you not get to do that? No, I didn't. No, no. But I got to do something even better because when I was 
basically, it came to like certain point in the night, quite early on in the night, and we were all kind of scrambling around and milling around, people turning up, nothing much to do really, we were all kind of in anticipation of what was going to be happening. And I was much braver in those days, I was quite cheeky, because I remember being stood down there and like nothing much to really do apart from stand around and try to look hard. So I thought, <laughs> I'm going to go up and have a look and see what's going on on the... Uh, actually up the stairs, you know, on the, in the, you know, outside the Trocadero. So I did, I went up and walked up to the entrance there and stood there trying to look hard and uh, I timed it perfectly because at that precise moment, this big black limousine pulls up and the door opens and everyone starts clapping and Sigourney Weaver gets out. So there she is, my Ripley, who I've loved. <laughs> he is. She gets out and comes over and she had her husband with her and I think she had family members as well. She's got family in the UK and she came and stepped forward toward the building and looked up at the big alien war sign and Lance Henriksen was there he was there stood with a suit on smiling away and someone handed um, Sigourney a, a flamethrower it was attached to some sort of fire extinguisher thing I think and then she went on to just blast this whole sign and the building the building front with a huge big blast of uh, smoke it was just amazing and everyone clapping and then she kind of handed that over and then she kind of came over to the entrance now this bit I mean, she she kind of came along, and of course, Gary and John were there with the wives. I shouldn't have been there. I should have been down there working, but I was just so buzzed. I was just like, wow, this is brilliant. So she came along, and Gary was like, hi, hi, Sigourney. They'd obviously met in talks with Fox and everything, and mm. was like, hi, Sigourney, this is my wife. And they both introduced their, their partners to Sigourney, and she came along and shook my hands. And I was there. I was there right at the end. <laughs> and I just said hi, and I just shook her hand. I said, welcome to Alien War, <laughs> kind of thing. So not very much in character. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a real buzz, and she was lovely. She was so lovely, and they proceeded to come down inside, down down the steps, and down into the uh, actual into the complex, into the into the base. And then everybody turned up. You know, you had the likes of Brian Glover, Ralph Brown from Alien Three. You had is it Rico Ross Frost from Aliens? Danny Webb, is it Danny Webb from Alien Three? Moss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there. Yeah, several of the key characters really from Alien Three. One or two characters from Aliens, and it was just a Brilliant, brilliant. Both. But like I say, by this point, it descended into kind of chaos because there were a lot of people there, such a lot of people down there uh, milling about. So from what I am aware of, Sigourney Weaver and the party went through the base and experienced it for the 20 minutes that it lasted for, and then at which point they came out. And I knew that there was uh, supposed to be a party in Planet Hollywood afterwards, like an after party. And uh, by this time, everything had gone to pot, from my perspective anyway, from what I remember. I just remember them... I remember Sigourney Weaver coming out of the, of the actual exit door of the, the, the complex and uh, it was like a free-for-all. It was just nobody was really giving instructions or anything, not that I recall. So I was like, we need to get them from here to Planet Hollywood. So I kind of ushered and pushed past people, yeah. get Sigourney Weaver and her husband and a few others to get them to this little service corridor that took you like a shortcut down to Planet Hollywood. So I remember pushing past people and saying, can we get by, can we get by, and just pushing past. And people moved out of the way. And Sigourney Weaver's husband was patting me on the shoulder and he's going, hey, you're doing a great job, you're doing a great job. It was so <laughs> great. And then we went through this. So one second there was all these people there, just like people taking pictures and just a huge crowd. And then and we went through these doors, these service doors, into like the innards of the Trocadero, and then the door slammed shut, bang, and it was just me and Sigourney and her husband, 
and this long walk to Planet Hollywood. So it was like, wow, fab. So I was just putting <laughs> them along. Now, that's how my memory mem- remembers it. There could well have been one or two other people there. I don't know. But I just remember these doors closing and us walking along, me escorting them to Planet Hollywood. And that was like my chance to just speak to Sigourney, really. I was like, what did you think of it all? And it was just a very polite, very nice chat about the experience and about what she thought of it. So you were actually doing escort detail as a colonial yeah. marine at yeah, yeah, it was nuts. It was crazy. What did she think of her out of interest? Well, she's such a professional, isn't she? And, uh, you know, she just said she loved it. And uh, you know what it's like? I imagine both of you must have met people you've, uh, you know, admired for many years in mm. the conventions and what you've been to. And you think you've got all these questions set up in your head of what to say. And you end up just talking dribble a lot of the time. So I was just <laughs> kind of saying, I said, so what do you think? And she was saying about it. And I said, well... I said, hopefully there's other things proposed, you know, in time and there's going to be other other little bits, you know, included within the base. And then I was asking her, I think I even asked her something about gorillas in the mist. <laughs> <laughs> Are they going to do a sequel? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not serious there, by the way. But uh, yeah, I think it was just a lovely chat. It was just a very short chat and very polite and very nice. And I think to meet somebody that you've been so fond of and followed the career and enjoyed the different roles that they've played and they've been a heroine to you, a hero to you, I think, and to find that they're actually a really lovely person as well, you know, ever the professional, she was just very, very lovely. And as we went through the doors and came into this big foyer in Planet Hollywood, we were suddenly met by dozens of photographers who all started taking loads of pictures. And luckily, now it's funny because in my pocket, I'd taken a little disposable camera and completely forgotten that I got it in my pocket. And one of the <laughs> other Marines there, Darren, who was another lovely guy, great guy, he'd remembered that I got this camera and he'd seen me stood there with, with Zigoni. He went, David, give me your camera. So I did, and that's where he took, the, and that's the story behind that picture, you know. So we stood there for a few minutes, had our pictures taken, mm. and that was that. As for a party, I don't ever recall, it's funny really, because I don't ever recall a party. I, I think, I might be wrong here, and I'm sure the lads involved, like Harry and the rest of them, involved in the, the whole setup of Alien War, I'm sure that there must have been a few beers had that night. But I don't recall there being any kind of party or anything going on, or any kind of, to my mind, it seemed, it, it looked like things had got that out of hand with the security and that they were just, it looked like a bit of a, a nothingness, like nothing really took place there. But then that might have just been me missing out because I went back through to, to the main, to the complex, to the, to the attraction then, to, to kind of crack on. Yeah, just brilliant, very, very buzzy moment. <laughs> Interesting. That, well, we've actually got pretty, you know, pretty far through this without actually asking you to give your sort of explanation of, of the, the experience, you know, of, of the story of, of what happened in those 20 minutes. I mean, there must be and they're wondering what the fuck's happening. I was hoping you could just sort of walk us through what, what happened when you got inside. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, now, it's a long time since I thought about this, but I'll run you through it really quickly from what I can remember. So I think, I think groups may have been limited to like 12 people, which seems like a lot, but I guess it depended on how busy it was. But yeah, the group would be taken through, they would be met by a Marine who would stand outside the base door, basically, he would stand and he would do a speech for them. He would have, I can remember some of the speech after all these years. He would say, hello, welcome to the Whaling Utani facility. You're about to be taken on a uh, guided tour of the base where you, where you will be able to see the life cycle of the alien, which, as you know, has been kept in suspended animation or something like that. And he would take them through into this very small reception room where we have one of the screen-used... Um, Hypersleep capsules from aliens just plonked in there. I don't know if you remember that, Eric. Do you remember seeing that? I remember outside on that little miniature exhibition or after it, there was one of the um, pods from Alien 
three. Oh. Um, I don't remember the one, the one in the in the ride, but that would have been right at the start of the yeah. ride. My my, I would have been thinking, oh great, where are the facehuggers? Where are the facehuggers? Right, right. <laughs> well, it was a really small room, and it was right there in front of you. So yeah, I think I do remember it. Yeah. Again, these pieces, you were like, wow, you know, that's actually screen news. It's a it's a it's a real piece of kit from the film. So yeah, that was the first bit. So the Marine would do a spiel, and it would be very much along those lines of we're about to give you a guided tour of the base where you'll be able to see the life cycle of the alien for yourself. And then suddenly this alarm would, this klaxon would start going off and it would be a case of, right, everybody, don't panic, don't panic. There was a lot of that. Like I say, it was ad-libbing and don't yeah. panic was a great line to just keep spurting out. <laughs> so he was like, don't panic, don't panic. <laughs> Sometimes it came from across a bit Dad's army. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> right, up against the wall, just stay against the wall. Some, we've got a situation here, it'll be contained, but for the time being, you just stand still, just do what I say, just, just wait a minute while I receive further instructions. So it'd be very much, in, in the early days, um, we had no kind of props or anything in, the, in, in terms of any like comm system or anything like that. Some of us had like just put our finger to our ears if we were getting some sort of <laughs> like from the powers above telling us to keep the group contained for now and then so then we would kind of it'd be a case of right everybody you need to follow me we need to stay really quiet these corridors can go on for miles stay together do exactly so that's kind of like the debrief and you've got to do exactly as i say i'll get you out of this just do what i say and we're going to get out of this and the thing is with attractions like this people you know, people pay money to come and do these things, so they're very, very, very willing to kind of suspend their belief, because why else do it, do you know what I mean? So, you know, you want to get your money's worth out of these things, so it's like everyone, even though the Marines are playing a part, everyone's playing a part, really, because, you know, you want to have a really good 20 minutes and get your money's worth, so it's like... Yeah. Right, everybody, let's get through this. So then we would usher the group through into a corridor. In fact, I'll have to post this up for you. I've still got the floor plan somewhere. Um, Excellent. You would go through into a little corridor that would kind of go around back on itself, and that's where you would pull out your moss tracker, which um, we used to have bits of wood wrapped in gaffer tape, you know, and (laughs) you'd take out this motion tracker, you'd say, I'm now using my motion tracker to detect anything that might be in the area, and quite often you get people kind of looking towards the motion tracker, wanting to have a look at it, and you kind of have to hide it from them, because it was just a bit of wood wrapped in gaffer tape. Well, the little red beepy thing on it. I hope in time that the uh, that they did get some motion trackers of some sort. But certainly back at the start, it was. In fact, sometimes you just use some as if you had a really small motion tracker. <laughs> <laughs> so it just be you just have nothing in your hand. It just be your palm. But you'd be looking at something. If anybody looked too close, you just kind of look away as if to say it's not for your eyes. So you'd be putting up. <laughs> Yeah, and then the beeping would come in and, and everything. And again, it was it was taken from the film, so it was recognised. Anyone fan of the film would recognise that noise of the of the tracker going. Would that have been like over loudspeakers or something? Now I, I don't think that bit was. Oh yes, it was. I think it was. We go. Or was it like something you held that the sound was coming? From? No, no, no. It was nothing that was operated. Like oh. I say, sometimes it really was a case of pretending to hold something in your hand. You so know. if you missed your cue, the sound would have gone off, and you go, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, I'm meant to yeah, be looking yeah, at the motion yeah. track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. You get round to another little area where you kind of ushered everybody into, it and it's got to be a contained environment because you've got to you've got to try to make each encounter go like clockwork. Really, you can't have any kind of um, loose cannons as such. So so you get everyone down into a corridor, into the end of a corridor, which is a dead end. So they were all contained down one end, and that would leave you free at one end, at the other end of the corridor, at the open end, where the corridor leads up into other bits, to then deliver the next part of the dialogue 
which, of course, is, again, taken from the film, really. It's the iconic scene of, you know, counting down, like, seven metres, five metres, four, you know, and all that sort of thing. And then there's that anticipation. Everyone's there waiting for this for this thing to come out. And that's where the first alien would make its appearance. Under lots of strobe light, I think they did that. Gary and John did that very well as well. It was, you know, the lighting. Always strobe lighting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was the strobe, and it would be one of the guys in um, an alien outfit and I th- I, I might be wrong here I'm, I'm sure if Harry hears this I'm sure Harry's a much more accurate authority on like the, the real details of the alien war than I am but to my mind I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that certain parts if not all of them but certain parts of the alien outfits the aliens outfits were some of the original leotards with the panels on from, that they actually used in aliens so yeah the, the alien would make its appearance nothing would really happen apart from a few gunshots I wish that I should point out at the, at the early days, there were no pulse rifles. We didn't have pulse rifles. We had we used handguns. To blank fire and Yeah, yeah, and they were loaded with blanks. So we did have... <laughs> it was only really quick. It was only about five minutes, but we did get some sort of gun training with them. Um, and they were really loud. They were so, so loud. In fact, in the clip that I'll show you, you can see in the afternoon of uh, the day Alien War opened up, I think they'd done like a quick walkthrough with Sigourney Weaver and Lance Henriksen, and they'd done some filming in there. And you can see in the clip, Lance Henriksen jumps out of his skin when the gun goes off. It's that loud. <laughs> really, really deafening. So, yeah, we had these guns, you know. We'd, I never... We, we had a couple of pulse rifles that weren't functioning in any kind of kind of way. So we had hand pistols. So, yeah, the first encounter would happen, be shots fired, and then you would shout at everybody, move, 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 get round, get round, get round, and then you'd run yeah. around the corner again and up a bit of a ramp to another part. And again, it's all it's very much like the films. It's, it's not what you see, it's what you don't see. I guess it's that, that mm. something jumping out any minute, because thinking about this next bit, there was nothing that really happened. You just walked around the corner. Yeah. And I guess that was down to the Marine to kind of build it up for you and give you that suspense of the fact that anything could jump out. So you'd walk around the corner and down another corridor, and that's where a plant Marine hiding around the corridor would jump out, scare the life out of her, traumatised because he'd been separated from his own his own squad. So then there'd be reassurance given to that Marine. It'd be like, right, okay, okay, you're fine, you're fine. You just, you just hold your ground here. I'm going to take these guys and get these guys out of here at which point you'd walk down to the end of the corridor and that's where we had a, it was brilliant this bit this, this bit was great we had a, a ramp like a grid that went over um, eggs again I imagine it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was screen used leftover eggs from aliens that had spent 10 years in a in a skipper in a, in a storage container <laughs> so we had a lovely set lovely but we had a, a set of you know very grisly alien eggs lit very well with smoke and whatnot with a grill that went over so you could see through so the the audience the participants would walk over the eggs and this is a i remember saying to sigourney weaver about this because of course walking over the eggs what do you want them to do you want one of them to walk no don't you You want one of them to walk. But of course that didn't yeah happen. that that didn't happen they were all just static eggs um so you'd but again it was down to the marine to build up that suspense you know it's, uh, honestly it's, as a guest walking through that i, I remember thinking Oh shit! Right, one of them's going to open. There's going to be yeah. like a face hugger that's like pulled by string, and yeah. we went through it. And I went, oh, I thought it was going to open. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a missed opportunity, really. There, I think. Yeah. And I, but, oh, I think that's the sort of thing, and you know, we can talk about this afterwards. That, that's the sort of thing that they could have really developed really nicely, you know, to create 
to keep it fresh and to give previous visitors to the attraction a new, you know, something new to look forward to sort of thing. So we, we'd go down some steps after the eggs and then you'd take another corner, a sharp turn, and then you went into the dropship. You had a, a mock cockpit of a, of a, a dropship kind of thing. I think they were, they were old aeroplane seats set up again, dressed brilliantly, you know, the set people did a great job. It was, uh, two sets, two rows of seats facing each other. Quite similar to the APC in Aliens, with Whirling Jutani stickers on them, they look great. Yeah. And uh, you sit on them, and then the, and actually, it's just come back to me, I remember we had Bishop's chair from the dropship of Aliens, we had that actual rig, the chair rig, from the actual real dropship. Oh. And I remember recognising it because of the red and, the, the uh, yellow and black loop of wire around the back mm. of it. Thing. But it was the screen news dropship chair. So the Marine would sit in that and type in some coordinates and all that sort of thing and prepare to escape. It would be, you know, you'd psych the crowd up, get them ready for a blast off. We're, we're going to get out of here sort of thing. And then there'd be another malfunction and don't panic, don't panic. And <laughs> there was, and then you'd get everyone out of the scenes and there was a hatch in the ceiling of the dropship. And at that point, it very rarely works, from what I recall, and it's a shame because it was a really good effect because at that point you had a face of it coming down on a crane sort of thing, a mechanical, some like animatronic face hugger that would come down with its fingers moving. Again with strobe lights, so it looked lift up very effectively and at that point you get everybody out 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 okay plan B so you get everybody out the door slam the door shut and then you run round again do a bit of a U-turn down another corridor pull a trigger and I think we had that trigger that was located in the airlock at the end of Aliens the one that Ripley pulls yeah with the buttons to get the Queen out can't recall whether that was actually fitted or whether it was token I think we had it it was there knocking about somewhere but I think the whole idea was to pull that, push the buttons, and set off the self-destruct system, and then get everybody into the lift, including the plant. I think the plant always joined at the end of the egg sequence. I think that's where they sneaked in. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's come back to me now. And then we'd run down, get into the lift, slam the door shut, press the button. The lift would be on some sort of hydraulic, which unfortunately the dropship was never on any, anything like that. It would have been really good if there was some movement, I think, in the in the dropship, at least at least a rumble, a vibration of some sort. But anyway, yeah, you'd be in the lift. There would be uh, vibration and rumbles. It would go up a little bit on hydraulics and go down. And then I can't quite remember the order of this. Obviously, the lift is knackered, and the marine. <laughs> The Marine then opens the door and then slams it shh. A hatch would open at the top of the lift and a, an animatronic alien head would come down <laughs> onto the crowd. Almost, you know, right above the heads with the tongue, with the inner mouth coming out. With it, it was very well thought out because, so in that same split second, you had everyone wanting to get out of the lift because yeah. it's in, at the top of the lift about to climb in. But at that same moment, the lift door is open to reveal a full-size alien outside the lift trying to get in so it was brilliant because you had people screaming wanting to get out of the lift and then of course turning around and looking at the door and shit and trying to get back into the lift so it was real yeah. panic and then the marine would slam the door shut panel on the top of the lift would close calm everybody down calm down calm down don't panic don't panic don't panic right we need to leg it we're gonna have to leg it out of here and then you'd open the door and it'd just be one long last corridor that you would absolutely leg it down and by that point after 20 minutes of it I hope I've remembered everything because I think that, that to me is what it pretty much was. Uh, but yeah, at that point, everyone would go legging it out of there, terrified and screaming and laughing and just, yeah, just enjoying what they'd seen. 
and what they've experienced. It's actually, that leads us on to the next question quite, quite well. Okay. You, you know, it's, it's a very active experience. You know, adrenaline's pumping, people are scared shitless. If I remember his story right, I think a very own Xenomorphin, you know, took a swing at one of the alien performers. Yeah, it was in that, um, the part where you said the, like, the APC dropship thing, because the lights go, they just go black. And then you just hear the, you know, the voices and then the strobe lighting kicks in and this alien was standing like a foot away from me. And my, you okay. know, you just on impulse go, what can I just hit this alien mask yeah. in the jaw? But the, the guy inside didn't seem to notice. <laughs> yeah, it was completely reflex action. I didn't even think it was just my fist went out and hit this alien. But I, I think that's. That's your natural reaction to things. I think, you know, yeah. when you're in that situation and you get a fright like that, you know, I know lots of people if you are, that I know not to make them jump. I'm, I'm a great practical joker, but there's several people I know I'm good friends with. I wouldn't dream it in a million years of making them jump because I know I get smacked in the mouth. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, it's all part and parcel, I guess, of, uh, you know, doing an attraction like that. People are going to do what comes naturally to them and just lash out, yeah. yeah. See, that, that's what I was wondering, was, you know, I'd also read stories about people literally being too scared to actually progress with, you know, with, with, with the experience. Was that kind of thing common? Did you tend to have people bottling it like that? Now, I'm having to think back here and remember, not that I recall. I think, like I say, I think a lot of people, when you, you know, you, people pay money to do these things. Every more, ever more popular, people pay to go on these locking rooms and breakout rooms and, uh, you know, zombie experiences and all that. So people like being scared, I think. And, uh, I think any occasion where those sort of things have happened, it's, uh, great publicity and it's, uh, Maybe where someone's been dragged along against the will, really, where it's not really been their cup of tea, and they've thought, all right, yeah, I'll go along with that, yeah, I'll, okay. To, to me, I, I like, I think, it goes back to the whole thing of adrenaline and liking being scared. I've always enjoyed scary films, and I enjoy being scared. And sometimes it's easy to, it's difficult to remember that some people don't like being scared. So, yeah, people have different reactions. So if people did react like that, I don't personally recall any situations where we had to escort anybody out. But I was only there for a short while. I'm sure that may have happened on occasions where people found it so immersive that they were just like, oh, I, no, I can't do this. I can't do it. Because it, it was completely that kind of experience from what I remember. Because it was advertised as a ride and I didn't know what to expect going in. I thought, would it be like partly you're, you're strapped into a roller coaster thing or whatever? And it is more of an experience. And especially in the UK, that was a very new thing to do not so much now but especially back then that was a, a new kind of thing to pay to go into oh completely yeah it was and i think you know hats off to the creators of it to gary and john the fact that they thought all that up and not only thought it up but managed to pull it off you know and to negotiate and to get licensing from fox and to get the likes of you know the stars of the films involved just absolutely brilliant that they were able to do that and it, it yeah like you say it was ahead of its time you know these things you know the ten a penny these days they're all over the place these immersive interactive experiences but alien war really was well ahead of its time. What are some of the most memorable things which ever happened during your time working there and um, not just like this unusual or did anything go wrong or did you know anybody play pranks on each other even what are the most memorable things you remember well i guess yeah 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 uh, yeah there were lots of funny things that i remember especially involving mike yeah one thing i'll have to tell you before i forget as well i, I do remember the being told when sigourney weaver said she was going to take part in it i remember and i thought it was really great 
she offered to come along as Ripley on the night. I was wondering. Yeah, oh, that yeah. Would be cool. um, I wanted to tell you that before I forgot. But, Did uh, they take her up on that? Or not? Well, they didn't. Because oh, I, I really thought they might do because they had Ripley's costume. I remember in that, um, I think Gary or John, I don't know whether they still own them or not, but they had, they had Ripley's leather jacket or a blue jumpsuit or Reebok boots, you know, pulse rifles. And I think Sigourney, in true character, I think when she jumped on board with it, she, she said, do you want me to come as Ripley and participate in it as Ripley? So that, I think that's a great gesture that she offered to do that. It demonstrates, you know, how much she was willing to play about with it and, you know, and invest herself into it. I think it was great. Going back to your, your question about memorable things. Yeah, I do remember. I think the thing to remember with things like that I think uh, they can become for the uh, performers very repetitive when you take in a group through you know every 20 minutes there's a group uh, if you stagger the group you've got them you know every 10 minutes or so you're taking a group through you're taking a group through you're taking a group through yeah. you've got to keep it fresh I don't remember any deliberate messing about because at the end of the day these are the paying public and they, des- they deserve to get you know the real deal and a real experience it wouldn't be fair to, to do anything that would kind of jeopardise that and kind of give them less of, a, of, of an experience but I do remember one time going back to the rehearsal period where, where me and Mike said to each other I think because we got the giggles and stuff and I don't know he just made me laugh and I made him laugh I think like I said we'd said to each other we, I hope we never have to take a group through together well one time we were paired up right Mike and David right you take this group through Mike made me laugh just because he, he was a good actor but he had this like all of us did I suppose when when it got into when it got into it and we were there in the thick of it and it was so real you'd get a bit flustered and you'd be like it took some um quite a uh, skill to be able to think of stuff to say within context of what was going on. So a lot of the time you find yourself going, you know, saying, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. <laughs> and I do remember Mike <laughs> saying, because people were screaming and squealing, and I just remember the, you know, what seemed like the whole 20 minutes that Mike just, saw it, just saying to people, look, shut up, shut up, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, right, it's all right, I'm going to get you out of here, be quiet, be quiet, calm down, shut up. <laughs> and it just went on and on and on. It was great. It was really, really great. But I do remember being with Mike and we got to the, we got through it all alright and everything. And of course, the good thing is you're in the dark a lot of the time. But if you do have a bit of a giggle and a laugh, people don't see you giggling and laughing, you know. Yeah. Because you were in the, you were, you were, your face was, you know, you couldn't see your face. But I do remember going into the, uh, dropship and the bit where the face sugar came out. And it really, when it worked, it really was creepy. It came down. It was very lifelike. You know, the legs moving and everything. It had come down and hang down with legs dangling. And I remember Mike, we were getting everybody out of there. So it was suddenly like, lights come back on, strobes, face sugar appears. Everybody screamed. We scream. Well, we don't scream because we're big butch marines. We kind of usher everybody out. But I just remember, you know, it's like when you see a big butch guy see a little tiny spider and they kind of strip my yeah. and it gives you shivers. <laughs> On that occasion, that's exactly how Mike reacted. <laughs> his butch voice turned into a little squeal. I think it must have just sent a shiver down his funny bone because he kind of, he almost skipped out of the dropship and kind of went, woo! <laughs> <laughs> you see a spider, that made me giggle and then I remember we got into the lift and there was the two of us in the lift with a full full dozen people including the plant and we'd so we got into the lift slammed the door shut and we're like right we're going to get out of here we're going to get out of here and Mike's giving it right be quiet shut up shut up don't panic don't panic woohoo and all this and, uh, and the alien head appeared out of the top of the lift and the door opened and the guy came and the alien appeared outside the lift and Mike slammed the, the door shut and as he slammed the door shut I remember him slamming that lift door shut and then there being this almighty thud bang 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 and I thought to myself why where's the banging what, why that's not happened in rehearsals what who's banging and uh it was the alien banging on the door 
because Mark had caught the finger, the alien's finger in the door. Playing <laughs> 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 the alien, it, it was great to see because Mark opened the door and I peeked through and I could see like a seven foot alien walking away, shaking his finger because it must have really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but I witnessed the alien skipping and shaking his finger, like, oh, 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 that hurt. That hurt. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, those are, those are two moments that I remember sticking out in my mind as being, yeah. That's brilliant. Was there anything you and the actor, the other actors wanted to do but weren't able, or indeed, were there any things that hadn't occurred to the organisers which maybe you and the guys in the alien costume maybe got together and suggested and then got brought into it? Not that I recall in my time that I was there. Um, like, Gary and John were very much, it's funny really, because they were, they were very happy for us to do kind of what we wanted to, and they were very, they, they, they allowed us kind of like a, a free, from what I recall, they allowed us quite a free reign as to, not to what we wanted to do, but how we did things, and you did things like that as an act, approaching it from an actress perspective, it, it's playtime, you know, it's, it's all one big playtime, it's let's play, you know, let's have fun, let's make believe sort of thing, so, I think they got that, and they enjoyed seeing us having fun playing. I don't remember any specific examples of specific ideas where we were like, ooh, could we do this here, or could we do that? Yeah. I'm sure that if we did do that, I'm sure that they'd been very receptive to it, but not not that I can recall, but that's not to say that there isn't. I don't recall anything specifically happening that we suggested and they, and they took on. I think that uh, with hindsight, after I'd left, and in years since, I mean, I've done a lot of events work and different, uh, I, you know, I work in creative industry now where I'm, I'm making props and doing sets and stuff myself. I've had lots of thoughts where I thought, oh, what a shame they didn't do that. You know, they could have really developed that further and done so many different things with it and, and kept it fresh. I think, to be honest with you, I think logistically it must have been a nightmare for them even getting it set up. So I'm sure there'd be some truth to saying that it must have almost been like keeping a ship steering straight. They got it up and running and uh, they were focused on so many of the things I don't suppose they get much thought really realistically as to what they could do they had, they had the thing up and running basically do you see what I mean so and uh, I'm sure for its um, development over time they would have added more and more and more and more stuff but I think for a while there they were just like right we've got it we've got it up and running the face hugger works most of the time the lifts working you know so they were very focused on keeping it going as it was and keeping the things working that they had maybe they just didn't have time to think about how to further develop it they were just trying to they were very busy trying to maintain it as I imagine okay let's talk a little bit about hardware Alien's aesthetic is incredibly popular I mean there's a reason so many fans like to recreate the armor or, or, or the aliens themselves I mean you've obviously got a taste of it when you were doing your own rehearsal stuff yeah you guys uh, from what I've read you know I mentioned it earlier you know you had replica of the armor it, you know made by the same people who made the armor in aliens were you allowed to create it like uh, to customize it like the actors did in the film was it your sort of own or was it a case of don't touch it well, we'd, we'd shared the armour. We had, we, had, we had several sets of armour. Some were better than others. Some of them fit really well and were really, you know, well finished. Others were a bit, little bit rougher and not quite finished and whatnot. And we all had to share. In fact, I do I do recall sometimes where people, had, and I guess this is where we kind of let ourselves down a bit, there were times where people were just wandering around in T-shirts and things because there wasn't enough, enough armour to go around. But yeah, the stuff, that, that was another exciting aspect to it is that, we, you know, we were wearing this, like, replica stuff, you know, that was great. Was, you know, some of it was so well done, and yeah, John and Gary, they, they did embrace that because I remember the, the lads asking, you know, can we write on these? Can we do stuff with it? And, and they were like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Oh. So yeah, they were quite, um, quite open to that. Did you, uh, did you do any scribbles? 
I didn't know. I remember because I'm so small. There was only one little bit of armor that used to fit me, and I was lucky if I could ever find it because someone was usually wearing it or whatnot. But yeah, yeah, I got to wear it a few times. I don't think I did any kind of scribbles on it, but I did used to like. I always liked, but I think things like that. You want to make it look real. You want to come across as a realistic character. So I always tried to do things like I'd even put a bit of makeup on. You know, not so much makeup, but I'd put black on my face to look bruised or dirty or put some oil mm-hmm. on my arms or some bandages or something. Something to give your character a bit of history, like you'd like you'd not just arrived on the tube and had a, had a shower an hour ago, like mm. you'd been stuck in there for a while, you know, so to add some grit to it, really. Yeah, good but idea. And everyone did the same thing. I think most people did kind of personalise their own characters. I'm sure, like I say, you know, that was the early days when I worked there. I'm sure people that worked there for a while, you know, really developed their own characters and did a lot more with their own characters. Okay, cool. So, Alien War featured a sound system that was called Soundfire. You know, it, at the time, it was it was kind of quite innovative, but it didn't work properly when the attraction opened. Um, you know, it, it was based on um, infrared beams triggering certain sound bites that would play through the through the speakers. Yeah, yeah the, it got sorted out eventually from what I've from what I've read and what I've heard. But how how do you think was that an effective aspect of the attraction the, the way that was set up as as opposed to like knocking around with your blank fire and stuff? Yeah, well, I remember being really excited, like everybody was, about the prospect of this sound fire because it was very high tech. And uh, but it's not something I got to witness. The, for the duration of the time I was there, we always used these pistols. So, and I, but I did hear, I did stay in touch with people like Mike after I'd left. I remember him saying it had been problematic. I think if it had worked, it sounds absolutely fantastic, you know, to be in this environment, you know, visually, all this stuff's around you, and to have this deafening, you know, gunfire and, you know, the, the sound effects and everything. I can imagine... It must have been, you know, I'm sure when it worked, it was amazing, but I, I, I bet it was uh, disappointing when it didn't, you know. If, if it didn't work, you know, what did they do? Did they carry the pistols around with them, you know, as a backup or, or what? Tricky to say, really. I, I imagine, yeah, if it had been done properly and it, if it worked, I imagine it would have been fantastic. Was that up and running when you went through it, Eric? I think, it, I mean, I do remember there was, there was a guy, you said that you guys all had, like, um, handguns. I do remember the guy who took us through, he did have a pulse rifle. Right. And I, I'm pretty sure, I mean, it's been all this time since then, I only went through it the once, but I, I'm pretty sure that when he was firing the pulse rifle, you did hear it through loud speed, and it was loud. It was yeah. really loud. And I'm pretty sure we, we, what really helped was they did, when a guy in an alien costume actually rocked up, you actually heard, like, the actual alien, the authentic, film authentic alien hissing sounds, which yeah. really helped to sell it as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. So, I, I don't know if that is that sound system but it, it sounds similar to what, what they were at least trying for yeah 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 it wouldn't surprise me if it was something that was uh you know the, the the plan was for you know to certain areas of the base for it to then activate certain sound as as, as and when required maybe if uh yeah yeah it sounds like it would have been a great great thing i think things like that you know you've got like i say you've got the visuals around you so to have the audio as well you know and crank it up and really you know that, that just adds to it immensely what was the reasoning behind um because what i remember when we were being led through it with this marine 
they were portraying the we were told as guests of this Wayland Yutani facility. But when this the alien come up, you have to be extremely still because the aliens they they've got no eyes. They rely on sound. And I, and when an alien came up, it was like it stood very still, and it, we were all called to not make a single sound or or go for it. And obviously, it never did. But you know, we were all like, oh my god. I've always been curious. Was this an effort to try and recreate the like the tension film moment? filled moments from the first film or was it more to do with like the physical restrictions of the actual costumes like the tails and such like if they'd have tried to do any sudden movements like they've got in the way or something well it's funny i think probably i've forgotten about that actually but now you say i i think that had probably had more to do i might be wrong but i imagine that whole thing of be quiet these things homing on sound yeah was to try to create because like i said there were certain points within the base where these encounters would take place and where you've got people frightened people and people feeling threatened or whatever or getting too much into it or they're just they're just so immersed in it there's always that risk of um injury i guess of people you know uh, anything can happen in those so i i I imagine that had more to do with creating a um practical reasons of getting everyone to be very still and and kind of taking it in to keep it restrained in some way. Do you see what I mean Mm. by that? Because by laying that down, saying that the aliens react to sound, that obviously gets everyone very still, very quiet, not so much calm. But I I imagine that was more to do with practical reasons of trying to keep it contained, to stop people legging legging it off around the corner because that would be a disaster because suddenly Mm. Marine would have to divert his attention from the group to one person. It would just be chaos. So I think, I might be wrong, but I think that will probably have more to do with the practical purposes of, keep, of keeping each encounter contained and have it, have it, having everyone very quiet and almost becoming spectators for that little piece, you know what I mean, while they're huddled yeah. in the corner, sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's a great, uh, I've often thought about aliens, as we all do, and I think that the whole idea of, um, and it's a whole separate subject, but I think the whole thing of aliens being attracted by sound is a brilliant brilliant uh it would explain a lot i think uh, you know look at lambert and and parker when they're throwing the when they're filling up the bits for the for the making quite a racket and they're making all that racket and the alien turns up so maybe there would be you know that it, i think it's a great theory really great theory but it's that's something i had forgotten about i've forgotten about that we used to say that look these things home in on sound so yeah, like I, I remember it. Where it was always the lights went off, and then there was strobe lighting, as yeah. you say. And this alien just, as I say, the, the one I accidentally yeah. kind of like lashed out at. But you know, I did that, and then it, it was so close to me, it was just it yeah. was doing this like ballet type movement. It was just <laughs> standing there with arms kind of slightly full to it, and this strobe lighting. It, yeah. You say about the Lambert scene, it really did bring home that, yeah. you know, you watch the Lambert scene on video or DVD, but it's one thing watching it on TV, and I was actually there, and it was yeah. me thinking, you know, I've seen these costumes everywhere, and I was thinking, holy shit, this is quite terrifying, yeah. <laughs> actually yeah. seeing it. But it wasn't actually doing it, it was just standing there. Yeah, But yeah. you were just the whole room we were all going <laughs> and it was it really it was it brought because you were geared up like you were being led by a colonial marine there was going to be gunfire and, all, and you had this juxtaposition of all of a sudden the aliens actually turned up and everybody had to be still 
Yeah. And it yeah. was really, it was a weird psychological effect it had on you. Me yeah. speaking as a guest who actually went through it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, that's great. Um, did you actually go through as a, like on an off day? Did you actually go as a guest for it ever? I didn't. No, no, I didn't. And I think that I would have loved to, exper- to have experienced that. Yeah, it, it might have been quite hard to spend the belief mm. on it. Because, because I'd seen the other side of it. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, I've got a friend who works on, um, Game of Thrones, and he doesn't watch it, and he's missing out, and I'm like, oh, you need to watch it, yeah, it's fantastic. He said, well, I can't watch it, because I can't enjoy it, because I was there, <laughs> and I can't, so I see all the ins and outs of it all, he said, I can't suspend that belief, because I've seen it, you know, he, he can't watch it as a as a viewer, he just he just can't suspend his belief, because he's, he's been on set, and he's been there at the side having a cup of coffee, and all this sort of thing. So I guess it's that same principle of, of that. I think as much as I would have loved to have experienced it and gone through it, it probably would have been difficult to experience it in the same as uh, as Joe Public would have done. Mm. Do you know much about um, the the plans to have included a predator in the attraction? Uh, I believe the Glasgow show briefly experimented with it prior to closing. I remember there just been a talk of that. Um, again, we were all very excitable. We were all just glad to be there. And when Predator was thrown into the mix, we were like, wow, 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 that'd be amazing. But nothing ever did. Nothing ever did happen. And again, I think that's something that, you know, um, in hindsight, you know, they, they could have simply just thrown in the Predator sound effect. They could have just had the, you know, just somewhere in there at some point. Because it's not what you see, it's what you don't see. And to, so to have, at some point in it, to have heard a the yeah. whatever, that noise, that really would have sent a shiver down your spine. And uh, even if nothing else had materialised, it still would have added another dimension to it, I think. It would have been... Uh, but yeah, the, the thought of a predator in there, brilliant, great. Yeah. But it, and when, when I read about that, I thought to myself, well, most of the time the predator's invisible, so would you have been... I didn't know if they had plans for like actual costumes, or would it have just been like... Um, the three laser beams just coming out of nowhere and that would have been, it would have still mostly been aliens or I didn't well, know if they discussed anything. No, not to my knowledge. I'm sure there were conversations, uh, you know, between Gary and John, but not, certainly in the time I was there, nothing materialized. But, uh, again, I mean, you've just illustrated there a great idea, you know, mm. at some point in, you know, imagine walking down a corridor being led by a marine and then suddenly finding three little red dots on your chest, yeah. you know, and hearing that sound, that would have, been, you know, that would have been such a great way to, you know, incorporate that into it without the need for an actual predator, just to, you know, just to just to throw that in there, that would have been really smart, very exciting. And a bit of great contractual, um, you know, changes in it. I mean, even even if it wasn't due to happen for a while, it, it would have just kept people interested. Well, I think it would, and I think people. You know, people, um, you've always got, a place like that in central London, you know, very, very, very busy, very packed now, probably, this time of night. You know, you've got a constant flow of people, but I think people are very, um, I think people would have enjoyed coming back to Alien War again and again and again, and bringing their friends and rounding up more friends and grabbing more friends and taking them back. And, uh, you know, I think, they, yeah, I think they, it, it had a lot of potential. So, fortunately, no, Alien Wall did end up closing, you know, there was, there was a flood that took out um, you know, some of the infrastructure. And it, it closed, you know, you, you'd obviously gone by this point, and, you know, it's, it's never really returned in that in that fashion before, uh, since, sorry, I mean, Gary, and, no, I think it's just Gary, um, has done some unrelated kind of things, um, you know, they I think they changed it into Alien Wars and there's a string generic stuff. Them and Fox couldn't, couldn't work anything out when they were trying to bring it back, back, back alive in like, I think it was 2008. 
Yeah. But, you know, that, that hasn't stopped other sort of similar, similar attractions. Universal Studios in America, they, I think last two years, yeah. they've done a kind of similar thing called the Hollywood Horror Nights okay. or something like that. They've done, you know, an Alien vs. Predator themes thing. And here in the UK, the costuming group uh, known as the United uh, Kingdom Ponies, who run the Alien um, Legacy Board you mentioned earlier, they have run a sort of spiritual successor to Alien War at the, um, at the National Space Center in Leicester. They use the, the facilities that are there, you know, replicant, NASA uh, yeah. control rooms and space station stuff. Are you really aware of that kind of I knew there were the thing? little bits and pieces going on with different groups and whatnot. I think uh, a relaunch of Alien War, I think, could be. I, I, I think even now, I think it, it could really, really work if it was a licensed thing. Um, it's great to hear that people are real enthusiasts and they were putting together, I'm sure they're putting together some brilliant, brilliant installations and I'm sure people are really, really enjoying it. And I think it, it proves that there's an audience out there. I really do think that um, if they were to get another licensed uh, attraction together and took what they had with the original London Alien War and, and developed that further, I think they. I, I really do think that, especially in the times we're in now, where people really do pay to be scared. People love these immersive, interactive experiences and stuff. And I think that uh, because... The whole aliens, you know, it, it's part of our popular culture. I think people would so much love to meet the alien face to face and to meet a, 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 a colonial marine and the, you know, I think to be, you know, guided around these places. I, I really do think there's a, there's still and always will be because the classic films, it's not as though they're going to disappear in another 10, 20 years. I think there'll always be a market for it, but I do think, and that's where I feel sorry really that you know, I know there's been attempts to bring that John's, uh, that Gary's tried to bring things back, but I think without that license, without that, you know, I think there was a, it was Alien Wars or something that that, that uh, Gary did, um, and I'm sure it got good crowds, you know, because people still like to be scared, but you don't get that same fan base that you'd get if you did something that that was licensed. And I think just even stuff we've talked about tonight, you know, different ways of improving it, there's all sorts of different possibilities, I think, where you could really, really expand on what was originally done. Video link-ups, you could have pre-recorded footage on little cameras showing where you patch into another part of the base and it's just pre-recorded mm. stuff that the actor interacts with and then there's a whole pre-recorded thing of another group being attacked and slaughtered you know a whole room full of plants being ripped to bits that you, that you think is in the next room but it's not it's just stuff that's pre-recorded there's all sorts of, you know using puppetry you know chest bursters you could you know to have a, a real human head into a into a dummy carcass that the operator just sticks the bloody chest burster out of, you know, it could be really, you know, there's loads and loads of possibilities, I think, there. I'd love to see it happen again. Yeah, whoever, and whoever does do it, they can hire me to do the set. Because <laughs> 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 I think that, yeah, it's great to see that there's, you know, people have got a lot of fondness for the film, and I think there's a lot of passion out there, and I think it would be really well supported. I think it'd be very busy. It'd be a great time with it as well, because we're in a bit of a renaissance, you know, is for all its faults and everything, you know, Prometheus has sort of kicked off a new, new bunch of films, Covenant. Yeah, that's so exciting. There's a whole new, like, comic and um, books coming out. Alien Isolation yeah. pro- proved once again that, you know, Alien was absolutely mm. fucking terrifying. Mm. It's, it's the perfect time. time. And like you mentioned earlier, there's always a new audience coming to uh, the films, you know, it's great. 
when you hear someone's watched it for the first time and then or seen, you know, they might have caught Alien 3 and thought, what's this all about? And then, mm. you know, the pleasure you get in saying to them, well, if you enjoyed that, you're really going to love the first and second one. So, yeah, yeah, long may they, long may they live on. And, uh, and it's, yeah. it's, I was just going to say, it's, it's not just about the horror and gore and creatures because, I mean, I remember, yeah, as somebody you paid to go and, Actually, from the perspective of a guest, I remember there was a big old queue, even when I, I went to it. I remember thinking you got into the actual part where, you know, it's the, you hadn't gone into the ride as such, but you were into the, the actual building proper. And I was, you were just in the queue and I remember thinking, oh my God, they've even got the floor grating right. It's, you feel so authentic. And it's little touches like that on set design that really put you in the mood for it. It wasn't just the creatures. It was just, you're just thinking, this looks right. They paid attention to all the detail. And it was it was really that that made it like a proper experience as opposed to just something going, oh, that looks interesting, I'll go and do that. It, it's like in all this time later, it's really it's just stayed with me. Yeah, well, I think and I think that's, again, credit to people like, I imagine Harry Harris was very influential. And, you know, I think John and Gary were both big fans, so they wanted to do it right, you know, and... uh yeah, to be, you know, we all live you know, in the times that we live in, you know, escapism is a great thing. So to be able to be zapped out of our armchairs yeah. and turn into a real environment, you know, that's tactile, we can, you know, touch it and, and to feel it around us. Yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic thing. David, that's, that's pretty much everything from us. We've gone through everything. So, you know, before we sign off and say our goodbyes, is, is there anything you'd like to say that we haven't given you the opportunity to share? Well, I think, like you say, we've gone through pretty much everything. I hope I've not bored you in any way, because I've gone... Oh, God, no, no, For ages and ages, and there's probably lots of stuff I've forgotten that I'll be thinking tomorrow, oh, I should have said this, and I should have said that. I just think that, yeah, I think it's, it, it's great that... Um, I think when you look at what... I think, like, what we've just touched upon, I think when you look at what was done by Gary and John, what they did, I think getting together with Fox and everything and making that happen, it was, it was an incredible thing, and I think that they'd probably have one hell of a story to tell themselves, you know. Two young men who, you know, were fans who were able to, you know, acquire the pieces that they got. Not only that, they got... The license and everything and then found themselves in conversation with the main star of the film and getting involvement with other stars and it's, it's quite a miracle that they ever pulled it together and that they pulled it together so well and you know there's been several times tonight where I've referred to things not working or this wasn't done right or maybe that could have been better and everything but you know they must have had so 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 much to, to think about in terms of actually running a profitable you know enterprise it's a miracle that they did it so I just think credit to them that they actually did it and better luck to them whatever they, they do and I hope they you know do it again do it again because I think that there's I think uh, there'd be such a market out there for it but I think as well you know credit to you lads as well because you know your website's fantastic this stuff what you're doing is fantastic but to keep to keep fans old fans like me and, and new fans and enthusiasts coming back and listening to things like this and reading your articles and everything I, th- I think it's just a, a brilliant thing that you do and I've been really happy to be involved with it tonight I've really enjoyed speaking to you well, thank you We've, I'm very happy you joined us you know, I, I do really appreciate you taking the time to chat with a couple of nerds and you know it, it was so long ago as well <laughs> so yeah. I'm kind of really really happy that you've remembered as much as you have because I didn't know if I was going to be asking too much of you well, it's been an honour honestly it has oh I'm glad you've enjoyed it I've got a very good memory fortunately much to my friends' dismay a lot of the time because I bore them to death with a lot of stuff. But yeah, it's been it's been nice to kind of reflect and think back because a, a lot of stuff that I thought I'd forgotten has actually come back come back to mind. So it's been very nice. 
Well, okay, I think we're uh, I think we're about yeah. done then. Uh, before we do sign off, though, you obviously mentioned your YouTube channel earlier. I don't know if it'll make it into the actual recording. I can't remember if we were talking about that before or during. But David has a YouTube channel with a couple of clips of Alien War related stuff on. If you just want to tell everybody what your channel is called so they can find you. Well, I'd love to do, but do you know what? I can't remember it. <laughs> so that's something, <laughs> that's something that I'm going to have to send to you, I think, and a link to perhaps okay, well, include with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I include that one in the post. It's though. not something I use very often. I uploaded them quite a few years ago. So I'll, I'll make sure I send you the link to the, to the different clips. As always, you know, don't forget to, um, for your listeners, don't forget to check out uh, the, the homepage. Keep an eye on all the uh, Alien Covenant and the, the Predator news as it's coming in. You know, there's no greater place than abbgalaxy.net. Shameless plug. Well, it's not. It's not really shameless. This is our friggin' podcast. <laughs> but yeah, of course, you know, there's also uh, the social media accounts from Alien uh, vs. Friends of the Galaxy on Facebook, same as on Instagram. Slightly shortened on Twitter, just AVP Galaxy on Twitter. And if there's anybody out there that did get to experience Alien War, you know, we'd love to hear about your experiences as well. You know, throw them up in the comments section. If there's any questions for David, I'm sure we'll wrangle him back to answer any, any questions any of you guys have. Yeah, of course. Thank you for listening. Thank you again, David, for joining us. You're welcome. And Eric, thank you for coming on this one. Um, you were the perfect co-host for this. <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening. And this is Corporal Hicks. Xenomorphine. And this is David Watson. Last survivor of Alien War. Yeah, signing off.